All right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars. My name is Ryan Goak, and with me through the magic of Zoom and virtual recording, I have three good friends and guests with me. Marcelo Gonzalez. Hey, everyone. Austin Ivey. Hey, everybody. And Joshua Hendricks. How's it going, everyone? And welcome to our very first episode, which this is not the first episode we've recorded, but it is the first one that we will decide to air. What we'd like to do through this first podcast is to give you an idea of what our plans are for this show and also give you a little bit of an insight into who we are as people. So the general premise of this show is for us to be able to meet and have a dialogue about current news, events, hot topics, I don't know, world uh, crises, whatever uh, we happen to feel like talking about for that week. And the reason we came up with the title Between the Liars is because every person has probably been called or called the other opposing group, a liar, at some point. And the general rule of thumb is that the truth can be found somewhere between the two. And that's exactly what we want to do with this show is have a dialogue and be able to let people kind of draw their own conclusions. So why don't we go ahead and start with a little bit of an introduction about ourselves. Who wants to go first? Okay, I can go first. Hey, everyone. Like Ryan introduced me, I am Marcelo Gonzalez. I am proven by birth, but I've lived in America since 2014. I went to college at Tennessee Tech University, and right now I'm about to finish my master's degree in the George Washington University and in D.C. I'm very excited. I am a journalist by education. I studied journalism, but I'm a communicator. Uh, Most of my career, short career, has been in communications. I've worked in climate change, gender equality, and migration. Those are my key issues right now, mostly international, but also a little domestic. I'm about to start a job in climate change advocacy, so you might see my takes of that very soon. In general interest, I love reading. I would like to read more after I graduate, for sure. I listen to music. I'm a big indie guy, and I just really like going outside, which has been a challenge in the last year. All right, um, I'll go next. Um, As again mentioned before, my name is Joshua Hendricks. I am currently at the University of Southern Mississippi. I'm a graduate assistant here, and I help coach the speech and debate team. Um, I'm getting my master's here in communication studies, and I study rhetoric and ideology and how power works in and around communication, how we communicate, what methods we communicate. And in particular, the language and structure we use um, to communicate about. So more of a um, philosopher, scholarly than anything practical, organizational communication uh, type. So I'm with Marcel. I like to read, but unlike Marcel, I did not find it difficult to not go outside because I'm a very uh, good shut-in scholar who is (laughs) perfectly fine just uh, staying in and reading so I hope to stay in academia, keep working uh, this, get my master's degree here and going to get my PhD, who knows uh, where. I like being involved in speech and debate for the av- advocacy bit, but I'm in academia for the um, more of ability to be a professional uh, philosopher and get, and get paid for it and write because where else can you do it? All right, I guess I go next. Hey, I'm Austin Ivey. Um, and I am currently a student at Tennessee Tech University studying chemical engineering. Uh, this is actually my second time around at Tennessee Tech. I studied there a few years previously in biochemistry and cellular molecular biology. 
Um, I got some research experience there in the field of genetics, mostly dealing with um, environmental genetics and spent quite a bit of time outside on the river catching fish, studying environmental DNA. After my time at Tech initially, I transitioned over to become a research assistant at Vanderbilt University, where I studied in the biochemistry department, working on structural biology and protein transport. Uh, my experience there kind of led me to jump on the engineering track, which is what I'm pursuing right now. My interests outside of my current field of study and work and all that is mostly music. I'm a saxophonist and spent quite a bit of my time at Tennessee Tech in the music department, both in the jazz band, taking lessons, playing classical music, just everything I can. I like to listen to jazz quite a bit, funk music, fusion music, everything that goes with that. little biased as a saxophonist because that's kind of the voice that I look for when I'm listening to music. I'm hoping to continue on in my studies in chemical engineering and transition to a job in industry, either in the field of energy or medicine. Uh, I'm just very open as far as which direction the careers would take me with that. So... I'm Ryan Goak. I'm a PhD student at North Dakota State University, way up in the middle of nowhere's land. We have very few people out here, and it gets really, really cold. This year it got down to about negative 45 with wind chill at one of the coldest points. And I get asked a lot, well, Ryan, why in the world did you go to North Dakota State? Uh, the true answer for that is I actually came here to work with my advisor. She studies workplace relationships and organizational dynamics. While Josh looks at more of like the rhetorical concepts, I look at more of the practical applications and how those power dynamics play out in the real world. Two sides of probably the same coin at that point. I uh, actually study a lot of small group dynamics, workplace flow, the culture of an organization and how it influences employees' motivation, turnover, whether or not they are satisfied with their work, the relationships between supervisors and subordinates, things like that. What do you do for fun? <laughs> what do I do for fun? That is a great question. I think that uh, I've tried to pick up a couple of hobbies since I got tired of saying I don't know or saying research or studying. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, well, this podcast is one thing that I, I wanted to push for as something to do that's, that's fun. I enjoy talking with people. I enjoy having conversations. I enjoy uh, political discourse. I, I also enjoy reading. It's hit or miss on the topics I'm assigned for my school. I feel like as soon as someone tells me that I have to read something, I immediately don't want to. <laughs> but I enjoy uh, reading fiction books, stuff like that. I love being in the outdoors, camping, hiking, fishing, any of those things. So... That's probably my, my go-to. I, I haven't touched them in a while, but I, I did try to pick up some drums. I, I wanted to learn to play an instrument. I used to play piano when I was a kid, and I figured that that was kind of too much work. So I was thinking, you know, if it's just more of like a rhythm, less of like <laughs> the melodies, it might be a little bit easier. And then, no, I haven't done a whole lot with that. But uh, every now and again, I'll, I'll pick them up and try to better myself. Austin's the real musician there. Uh, Austin doesn't just listen to jazz music. He 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 plays jazz music. Depends on the day. Not as much as I'd like to these days, but as much as I can. Uh, Josh, Marcel, have you guys ever played any instruments? So I was trained um, on a piano for a while while I was growing up. And during um, the ending of middle school and throughout high school, I played a bass guitar um, as well. And throughout high school as well, I was trained to sing in a choir uh, but other than that, once I was done and kind of got into college, I didn't keep up any uh, instruments or time for it and just let my studies and reading take more of a <laughs> primary um, obsession of mine. Because um, I, 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 I say this, um, I, I have a certain sickness, and that is I read textbooks for fun. <laughs> that is, that's an academic sickness. <laughs> yeah, like... Um, I do not read textbooks for fun. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> 
and I, <laughs> it's inhuman. It, it's probably a reason why I don't want to stay in academia. I'm very happy. No offense. I'm very happy to be gone in like two weeks. I played uh, the bass too when I was in high school. I loved it. It was super fun. And before that, the guitar. I haven't gotten back to any instruments in like six years, but I would definitely like to go back. I'm thinking maybe I'll buy a mini keyboard and just practice some beats. That would be really fun. Can we follow you on SoundCloud? <laughs> Check out my SoundCloud, everybody. It's just my name. I actually don't because I haven't. I, I started uploading the things there when I was 14. So you definitely don't want to listen to that. I kind of do. I want. Oh, go... I'm definitely checking that out. <laughs> I, that, I'm definitely going to be checking that out after this. Why don't we talk a little bit about past work experience? I can go first. I actually worked in construction all through high school, and then I, I still kind of work uh, in renovations, painting, landscaping, uh, roofing, if it's not too sunny outside, which is much more likely out in North Dakota than it is in Tennessee, where I get scorched. But uh, that was kind of my experience. And I, I realized that I, I was not I was not opposed to you know a solid nine to five days work. And it can be pretty rewarding to see the transformation that takes place. You walk in really trashy building, put a fresh coat of paint on. It looks beautiful. You see it transform before your very eyes. Academia is not the same. You read and it's like, I don't even know how much I've read. I feel like I know nothing. And I have no visual representation of how much, quote unquote, success I've had. But I did realize that uh, the critical thinking aspect and working with others, teaching other people. That was something that I enjoyed a lot more. So then I transitioned more into the academic side. I just worked at construction landscaping uh, on the breaks. So now I... Oh, I forgot to mention, uh, I'm the director of forensics for North Dakota State's speech and debate team. I also teach some of their their classes as a, a graduate instructor. Yeah, I have an industry background in IT support. When I started off school, I was actually in a computer science major before I switched over to um, uh, communication studies. Um, and so during the breaks and throughout part of my time in uh, high school, I've worked on um, fixing and repairing uh, computers at a small business level, some minor level um, infrastructure or server infrastructure of hosting internal services and in internal websites that you know perform uh, functions and doing maintenance on them and then both general uh, support computers and then specialized computers for uh, analytical chemistry machines uh, that were worth this god-awful software because curse you Perkin Elmer, curse you Perkin Elmer and their software um, of getting those things to work right. And so outside of the the school, um, I fixed computers, which is not a bad thing, you know, bad thing, you know, I have because... Um, it's a pretty valuable skill in any office space because you can just be the very useful one who's like, yeah, I can fix this problem. <laughs> you got to be careful how many people know that you can actually do those types of things. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. You have to be very careful. <laughs> I feel like professors you want to faint some ignorance there. Be like, I have no idea how to do that. Uh, like It's like sitting in Zoom class. Like, you know, if like you say too much, like you're going to end up having to like, like run the Zoom class for them. So you just got to <laughs> let, them, let them struggle through this Zoom. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't know what's wrong here. <laughs> like, if anyone, if anyone at USM hears this, um, no, you didn't. <laughs> what about you, Marcelo? What did you do before this? Uh, so you actually made me remember that I actually worked for your dad too. In oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, one summer, I, one one quick a few days. I probably worked more in those days than I have in my entire like uh, graduate career, to be honest. Um, but I have had a wow. Okay, I totally forgot about that. This is like all of the memories came back rushing. Um. <laughs> But 
besides the very exhausting and very rewarding labor that I've done uh, in construction for about two to three business days, I've also been working uh, since I graduated on international development. I work for the United Nations in Peru and here uh, in the topics that I've already mentioned, very much focused on, we call it uh, meaningful work, making people's lives better, putting people at the center of development. And it's something that, you know, the United Nations is huge. And legally, I cannot say anything about them, but I'll say that I support their mission. Um, and I am very happy of the time that I've spent with them. Uh, and hopefully in my future, I'll go back, um, but who knows? Uh, like I said, I'm starting a job in climate advocacy. And right now I am a communicator for a, a Hispanic uh, group on campus. Uh, it's an institute that gives scholarships to Latinx, Latinos and Latinas undergraduates. So I have very, I've been working with them for two years, my entire graduate school career. And I don't know, they're nice people. Uh, I also manage their socials. It's a lot of, I guess when, when Ryan and, and Josh talk about their, like their applications, like whether it's more theoretical and practical, mine is just purely practical. And, and from a certain standpoint, pure, pure, like, I don't know, I'm not going to say useless, but like, I know how to like tweet and write stuff for Instagram and Facebook for, for what it's worth. But that's what I do. I too know how to use Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> I should go it's apply really, for a job at the UN. <laughs> it's really not that hard, to be honest. Like it's, I mean, it, it, it takes some work. I'm not going to devalue my own labor um, and I'm getting paid for it. And, and I'm going to get paid a lot since I have to live here in one of the most expensive cities in all of the continental US. Which might become a, a statehood. We'll see how that plays out. It's not, but we'll, we can talk about that <laughs> we, later. <laughs> what about you, Austin? What'd you do before you went the academic route? So my first job out of high school was actually delivering pizzas. So I worked for good old Papa John and uh, pretty much all through college, whenever I'd go home on weekends, I would load pizzas up in my Jetta and I would drive them around the town of White House, Tennessee. So did that quite a bit. During college, I had the opportunity to start doing research in the biology department, specifically in genetics. I talked a little bit about that earlier. Um, a lot of it was in with conservation efforts in mind and environmental um, applications. So basically testing to see if some state initiatives for repopulation in certain freshwater bodies was effective. We were able to do that through genetics and see if it was working out. Um, also pioneering some new techniques and detecting endangered species in bodies of water. So that is something I helped one of the PhD students in the department with. Um, thankfully, I was able to get scholarship through that. So I would count that as work experience. Went on to work in a little bit more professional setting doing research at Vanderbilt working again on structural biology and protein delivery mechanics. So that was fun. I did that for about two and a half years. And currently, since I'm back in school studying, the only times I can work are obscenely early hours in the morning. So I get up at about 2 a.m. every morning to do work with FedEx. And that is currently paying the rent at the moment. So also a little bit different, but coming from a background of hard physical labor, because a lot of people in my family did hardwood floors, construction, contracting, have a little bit of experience laying hardwood floors. So kind of the background you're from, Ryan, on that one. I'm not foreign to that sort of work. And actually, it is really nice to be able to go somewhere and physically see what you're doing, see the end result, which is really nice. Um, I really did enjoy my time working and research and everything, but you don't exactly get to see the results immediately. <laughs> so you got to take a little bit of a different perspective. That's why I'm hoping to get to more of an industry setting where I can see like, hey, here's a product you help design. Here's how it's affecting people's lives specifically. So a little all over the place with some of my work experience. How do you wake up at 2 a.m.? I went to bed at 1.30. <laughs> well, you start by going to bed at about 8 o'clock. <laughs> and then you relish in your four hours of sleep and roll out of bed and just get to work. <laughs> yeah, if Austin sounds tired on some of these episodes... Now you know why. 
It's not an illusion. I am very tired all the time. And that's okay. I guess a follow-up question to this is kind of what made you transition um, or what made you choose to go to grad school or continue uh, with with uh, another, in Austin's case, a third uh, degree. So what's, uh, what, what, what pushed that? <laughs> For, say that again, you cut out Austin. <laughs> oh, Austin's frozen. We're going to lose him. I keep getting notifications. My internet connection's on the stay- uh, I, I believe cool. that. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I it's could have told you so, that. Okay. So I think you said that you got back into it for punishment. Uh, Josh and Marcella, why did you guys choose to to leave your previous jobs, or what what interested <clears throat> you in academia? The thought of everything and the summation of the work of my life being to make someone else a bit more money was horrifying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, my God, what? what and, and so I didn't want to work. Uh, in, in the mass market, and there are a lot of great non you know, like nonprofits out there that do work and they're helping people, and that's all well and nice. And there is you know great people you know and, and you know and stuff like Marcelo's doing. But I like to read books, <laughs> and um, these people will pay me to read books. So I like the you know the scholarship of it. I like the re you know the learning aspect. I like the education environment. Um, and to some extent, I like the idea of teaching as a job and not teaching, you know, the K through 12 system. Um, that, that's another great calling that some people can tolerate. I could not. Um, and I also prefer the more liberty you have in your classroom that the university system offers you that the K through 12 doesn't through like AP, you know, requirements or other state mandates. Like, sure, there's general education classes, you know, got to teach, but, you know, if you have upper division classes, you have a lot more flexibility. And if you get hired into a position where you're teaching graduate students, then you're, you know, then you have a lot of flexibility about what your class can look like, look like and do. And um, I think that's a more fulfilling teacher position to be in as well. And a large part of also was also um, just being involved with speech and debate and, you know, that aspect then, and, you know, the very unique teacher student relationship you form with the students on your team as a coach because you have so many students that come in every semester they're gone the next you know you move on but your debate students you like keep them for all four years they're with you ideally you know, yes with you <laughs> and you get to know them very well they know you very well and it's just a very unique bond that even like like most of the other like faculty and then uh you know academics don't quite understand the relationship the coaches end up and you know end up with up on their teams because it's you know it's you know it's similar to a sports team in that aspect but it's also still very much so much more prof, you know teacher and prof, you know professorial because you're leading practice and that's an academic thing. And so it's this very unique academic mentoring position, you know, that I really enjoy. I actually transitioned for a similar reason. Uh, When I went and I got my master's, I was actually not planning on continuing in academia. I was actually looking at federal law enforcement. They accept a two-year master's program degree in lieu of like five years of work experience. And so I kind of thought to myself, hey, you know, that's <laughs> shorter path to the the career I thought I wanted. And then I fell in love with teaching similar to Josh's experience. I, I was I was kind of astounded at the level of freedom even a grad student can have in academia. Like as long as I got my stuff turned in by the deadline, as long as I taught my classes, made my meetings, you know, there was high performance from the students. 
they didn't, or at least my department did not micromanage whether I, you know, went home at a specific time or stayed to a certain time. There was a lot of self-regulation. I really, really enjoyed that. Similar to Josh, I could not teach K through 12 for that reason. Uh, God bless the people who can do that. I, I cannot. I don't have the patience. I like being able to teach them something that I, I don't see taught. Uh, we don't see communication taught very much at the at the K through 12 level. You might have some speech and debate experience. You might have a public speaking course, but not to the same degree. Yeah. And the ability to have a lot more complicated coursework yes. too. Like, like the th- theory depth you can get into with your comm, uh, you know, majors and their upper division classes is really enjoyable. What about you, Marcella? Why, why'd you, uh, why'd you transition? A uh, very similar story to uh, what Josh said. Uh, generating profit is not really uh, in in my future. I hope, um, but like I don't I want to work corporate, right? Because like I think communications has like a, a really good solid foundation in marketing and like stuff like that, and I don't want anything to do with that. The thought of being hired to um, sell toothpaste is just terrifying. Um, shout out to Thank You for Smoking. It's a, a great, great movie. It was a great movie. PR work and like, uh, but selling cigarettes, right? So maybe not the best role model. Um, <laughs> I actually, I just said that in the last time I talked, it was like, I don't like academia. It's true. I don't. And the more I read about it, I am and not knocking down on, you know, people who want to stay. But it's like the, uh, the death of tenure and like all of the things that are happening right now uh, with uh, academia just makes me not want to stay in it. I don't mind the freedom, but I'm also terrified of having like way too much freedom of like, because I, I, I don't mind research, but for, uh, I would say a more practical purpose, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so even if I'm happy that I will not be doing specifically anything related to a PhD or anything like that, I would like to stay close to research because it's very valuable. And like, in climate change, research is the backbone of everything. If you don't have that, st- those statistics to back up whatever you're saying, then, you know, is it even really happening? It is happening. Um, don't misquote that. Um, and <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's, I-, I would say that I'd love to stay involved, maybe not get paid for it in that same capacity. Um, just like Josh said, he doesn't like making profit for people. I feel like advocacy and nonprofits are like the complete opposite. I feel like I waste money, like just by existing and by doing stuff like it's not a net benefit for sure, at least money wise. It is a great impact to sustainability in the world. Um, I don't think we're making a lot of money when we host events for 100 people and then we just give them food for free. I don't know if anybody's paying for that. I think Marcelo touched on one of the one of the key differences between academia and then the industry route. You get to work the nine to five. While that might be repetitive, depending on the job, you get to go home at the end of the day. And you don't have to think about your work. I think that that's one of the downsides of academia is I am always in my work. There are always students emailing me. Uh, there is always something to do, always something to think about. Always a paper that could be read, always a paper that could <laughs> be reviewed, uh, an essay that could be edited, a, a grading that could be done. It 
Yeah, and you don't clock out. Yeah, and and you've with the unlimited threshold for self actualization, right? Like I can go as far as I want to within reason. I, I can also go as far as I want to, and then there's kind of this this uh, this hole you can fall into, this this black hole, this void. So I guess I really enjoyed being able to switch between the two when I was an undergrad and a master's student. Was I I would work until I was burnt out in academia during the semester. I would go home. And I would be reminded of the reason. <laughs> I would be reminded of the reason of why I was going to school. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm sunburned again. I, I'm a pasty person here. Like I, I'm incredibly white <laughs> and I'm uh <laughs> I, I just burn and you know work outside and like I loved it, but like physically exhausting, mentally exhausting. I guess pick your poison between the two. <laughs> yeah. I remember like I would go back work nine to five in the summer you know fixing computers and like you know i'd hate at the end of the day i would feel you know absolutely drained like from like the work day and then like the more strict like you regulated you know cycle you have to be in and avail and availability um and and you know do that for a couple months and be like yep you know i like school then go for a semester and be like okay yeah please let god let me let me out of here (laughs) um no reprieve this summer as I go into the summer planning on starting writing the lit review for my, well, sorry, starting on the lit review for my thesis because writing a thesis during the, the semester is actually surprisingly hard. <laughs> Again, you're, you're being told you have to do it. If you kind of get to do it for yourself, is that free will, that choice, I feel like it's a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I could take comprehensive exams instead of going the thesis route, but I'm trying to get a PhD, so that means I'm taking the thesis route. Yeah, you want to have something um, you can show. <laughs> I guess that could be a nice little segue into like where did we get our undergraduate slash master's degrees and how did we all meet so i i got my undergraduate degree at tennessee tech in communication studies a very generalist degree ironically organizational communication was my least favorite class the book was very dry i wasn't a huge fan and then when i went to murray state for my master's that was what i studied was organizational communication And that was kind of when I realized that there can be overlap between the interpersonal side with the relationships and also the the actual workplace. And so I actually enjoyed it there. So you'll get to notice that at least three of us have been to Tennessee Tech. And so that's basically where we met. Uh, I um, graduated a year after Ryan started communications as well, but I specialized in journalism. Very, um, I'll say, a a very straightforward program. Uh, No, no complaints, no no, nothing. Like, I love my years there. I remember Ryan's class for organizational communication because we also lived together. So I got to hear all of the details. <laughs> um, he didn't really like that class that much. And yeah. And right now I'm doing my master's in media and strategic communication, which is just more communication. Yeah, I'm the odd one out. And I got my um, bachelor's degree at Middle Tennessee State University. Before that, I got my associate's degree um, in speech communication and at Walter State Community College in East Tennessee and uh, uh, Middle Tennessee. My um, degree was in uh, communication studies with a uh, focus on rhetorical theory and criticism. And although while that wasn't necessarily a track, the way our program worked is we just had a very set number of mandatory comm classes you had to take. And then you just picked your electives. Like as a communication studies student, I had to take six hours of uh, organizational communication and six hours of some other type of, of uh, intercultural communication. Um, so 12 hours of that. And then everything else was general um, electives that I could just take 
any of our upper division communication classes for. And so then I took um, my political communication, communication theory, um, critical methods, senior seminar and actual rhetorical theory class and my persuasive communication class all from um, our department's rhetoricians. Um, and so I have a pretty strong background from that in my undergraduate, which is why I've done more work on post-structuralist philosophy and kind of semiotics and more um, linguistics as well um, here while getting my master's degree to kind of expand out my like broader communication to also include um, more linguistic understanding um, as well because those actually are indeed two different uh, fields of studies of even though it's not like world like languages so I'm not like you know studying how languages work but post-structuralist theory is theorizing about how language works in society and power and so it's a linguistic because it's an examination of word but it's not um, examining the mechanical function of language in the same way someone specializing in like learning the different types of grammar and how grammar works across different languages um there are people who do that, but that is not um, what I do with uh, language theories and linguistics. We call it semiotics in the specialized field of communication or, or encoding and decoding by Stuart Hall. So I'm the third of the group that went to Tennessee Tech. Uh, wings up, tech yeah, all that good stuff. Um, <laughs> heck yeah, tech yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's all I like to hear. That's a throwback right there. But um, yeah, so I went and studied cellular molecular biology, and it was either graduate a semester early or stay a full four years and get a second degree. So I went ahead and tacked on a biochemistry degree on the back end of that. I was pretty close to it, so might as well. And that ended up being a good thing because it opened the door through the department for me to get my first job out of undergrad. But I was always medically minded. So I had intentions to go on to medical school, and uh, that's the reason I got the first two degrees that I did. And after spending some time working and deciding that I did not want to spend another four years in school and three to seven years of residency, as well as six figures of debt, I decided against going to medical school um, because I also discovered I am not very high stress prone. I did not want that sort of lifestyle. So after working for a while, I've decided to go back for an engineering degree to kind of tie my science background to a more industry viable career track. Um, I think that would be a good thing for me and being sort of geared toward problem solution, mentally at least, that's kind of where I find myself these days. I thought engineering would be a great way to exercise some of that and apply some of the stuff I've learned to fixing real world problems for, to help people live better lives. I actually met Ryan first out of this whole group, freshman year in a theater <laughs> class. Miss Fergopolis. Miss Fergopolis' theater class at Tennessee Tech. So happenstance uh we like saw each other in class pass each other in the gym every once in a while and ended up going to see a play for extra credit for the course it was a very good play it was c.s lewis and sigmund freud having yep. a discussion basically it was a really good play but anyways that's where that friendship started through a gen ed class at Tennessee tech which was kind of wild went through four years of college with this guy met marcello along the way since they were both in speech and debate together and there's another thing i'm the only one in this group who has not done speech and debate I spent most of my extra time in music, like I said, or doing research in the sciences, like uh, hard sciences. He was so, a different level of nerd. We we were kind of like the full blown, like <laughs> carried the little legal pads, and, <clears throat> and Austin was the hole himself up in the library. Nobody sees that he's a nerd type of a nerd. See, it's the same coin, just like different types or different sides of the same coin, more or less. We should so, do like a Venn diagram. These three went on the speech and debate <laughs> team. These three went to tech. So Ryan, Austin, and Marcelo. Went <laughs> Josh has got the legal pad. Ryan, Marcelo, and Austin went to Tennessee Tech. 
Josh, Ryan, and Marcelo were on Speech and Debate. Uh, the mm-hmm. only overlap on everything is between Ryan and Marcelo because they both went to Tennessee Tech and they both did Speech and Debate, which Marcelo mentioned we also uh, roomed together during college in the dorms. The good old, good old days. <laughs> Best two years of my life. Let's see. I met Josh uh, kicking his ass across the debate circuit. No, okay. <laughs> uh, I met Josh when he was at uh, Walter State. I think it was my second year. And you were, were you a year behind me, Josh? I think so. Okay. I um, couldn't remember. I also if... then took three years at Walter State because I changed okay. from communication or from communi- uh, computer science to communication and needed to finish up the uh, track there. Josh and I had a lot of great just conversations at tournaments. That's one of the things that I loved about speech and debate is, is you meet people and you go hard in rounds head to head. You'll see us go hard head to head in uh, these segments as well. But like just you get to form these friendships with great people. And I think Josh was kind of my go to person just kind of chill with outside of our rounds. Yeah. Speech and debate was always a unique environment. But that's been one of the unfortunate things about the pandemic is that students really haven't gotten a chance to like sit in the big prep halls. Uh, or draw areas and get to know their competitors or walk or to and from the competition rooms and get to know people. Mm. And so that's definitely, you know, something that, you know, we've missed out on even as we've continued to do virtual tournaments, but, you know, as evidence, obviously, you know, you know, by working, you know, working in speech and debate, uh, you know, as my graduate assistants really do believe, you know, and it's a ability to be a really positive impact on people's uh, collegiate experience. Um, even if they don't make it out to that many tournaments, I'm still always like trying to come to like get people like, yeah, just come to practice. Like, I yeah, I can't travel, can't come to tournaments, whatever. Just, just come to practice. Like, cause think even, you know, even then just do some practice rounds with us, just listening, just listen to the things we're talking about and learn with us, you know, because to me, you know, speech and debates, not extra you know curricular it should be co-curricular and a lot of institutions it's like all the class that you can take you know as you know a part of this you know speech and debate team but you know it's a very educational activity so i think just being involved in it is a real positive you know thing so i'm always pushing you know more and more for it i don't think you would have this podcast if it weren't for speech and debate because i would not have met josh I probably wouldn't have met Marcelo. We were on opposite sides of the communication department. There maybe would have been an overlap in a class, but uh, outside of that, I certainly would not have had as much of an interest in political discussion. So I think that kind of kills the entire vibe of this podcast. Uh, It's kind of a non-starter there. Austin and I, we met outside of speech and debate. I think one of my favorite memories actually revolves indirectly around speech and debate because I tried to get him for four years to join. He said no. He regrets that decision now. But uh, Dr. Graham Cash, the man, the myth, the legend, taught a folklore class. (laughs) Uh, He taught two folklore classes at Tennessee Tech. And he was also the director of forensics for Tennessee Tech speech and debate team. That was my main run-in with him. And... Austin almost got the runaround from the university trying to graduate with two degrees because you needed, I think it was 150 credit hours. And they said one of yours didn't transfer. And this is like five weeks into the semester. You can't start another class. And Austin's like, they've given me an ultimatum. I either have to graduate with one degree and then come back in the summer and pay to take that last degree, or I just graduate with two majors, which like that's like 120 instead of 150. So he'd already done the work. And I was like... Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. I was like, hold, please. And I called Dr. Cash and I said, Dr. Cash, I have a student who is really interested in taking your folklore class. I know it's five weeks in. Would you be willing to let him add? And he did. And then Austin did get the Dr. Cash experience before he graduated, which made me so happy. (laughs) It was was worth its weight in gold. 
<laughs> the one thing I was always jealous of is y'all's ability to take a class with Dr. Graham Cash. Yes. I imagine it was an experience. Ah, so good. Um, yeah, it was wonderful. I remember um, with it being a folklore class, obviously we got a lot of Tennessee history and a lot of uh, mountain history is, you know, I would put it having family in East Tennessee, which is really cool. But Dr. Cash would, uh, I remember one day he brought his harmonica and his wife came in and she brought a, I think it was a dulcimer maybe, yep. but they sang and played folk songs. It was incredible. So definitely a thank you to Ryan for pushing me through to have that experience and get me out on time with what I needed. That was uh, a great way to cap off my undergrad experience was a class with Dr. Cash. <laughs> a very uh, unintentional at that point. Uh, I'm just glad that it worked out. Uh, yeah, I, me oh, too. If we're adding to the Venn diagram, all of us have lived in Tennessee. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't born in Tennessee. I think I'm probably the, well, Marcel and I are the outliers there. I was born in Wisconsin. So I'm, I'm kind of back to my roots out here in North Dakota. Cold roots. <laughs> Very cold roots. Right, I think we have two like get to know you questions. Uh, one of them proposed was how do you take your eggs or how do you like your eggs? I, I like mine uh, over easy. That's usually, usually my go-to. Yeah, I have to have mine over medium if I'm going to go that route. Um, I can't stand it if the whites of the eggs are not cooked through. Just, uh, But I do like a runny center, so over medium is my preference. Scrambled all the way. <laughs> it's very, very easy. I, don't, I also boil them, usually. Um, they keep very well in the fridge. I feel like I should clarify that I like my eggs real, since I've had so much in the cafeteria where I know it's just powdered eggs. So my go-to is a real egg, and then from there I prefer over easy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely with a little bit on over easy. I've always made this statement um, that if ever given the option just to eat a bowl of warmed um, but not cooked egg yolks, um, I would. Um, the idea of eating a whole bunch of raw cold ones sounds awful, but just <laughs> mildly warmed egg yolks, um, I could certainly do. I'm learning new things about Josh every time we have one of these conversations. <laughs> right, right, right. So I like over easy. Um, I don't always like sunny side up because I find the um, raw egg white to be much worse of, of an mm. experience than the egg yolk is. That's fair. Um, but um, over easy is definitely preferable also, but um, soft boiled is also very good, um, even if a little annoying, like an overall preparation because you have to do a <laughs> bit more active in the boiling process versus just like let them clunk but it is just you know boil them for a bit less time but then it leaves you with a fully cooked exterior uh, or white of the egg within like a very nice soft um uh interior i feel like hard boil is really hard to mess up you just put them in you leave them and you come back and then they're just hard boiled like (laughs) you're right josh soft boiled you have to be a little bit more deliberate with that time management (laughs) uh my favorite question coffee or tea Um, cold brew cold brew okay coffee Culture, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as a grad student, coffee all the way. It's got to be caffeinated. I, I, I found that just like kind of sipping on a beverage kind of helps keep me focused a little bit. So I will drink tea if it's too late for caffeine. But um, here's a suggestion water is that <laughs> also really good to sip on? I do it all the time. <laughs> Marcelo roasting me. <laughs> I get my water through just with a little bit of a little bit of beans in there, Marcelo. So I still get my water intake. Uh, Miranda disagrees with me on that. She thinks I need to drink actual water, but yeah, you should probably drink some water. I do. <laughs> um, yeah, I like a nice uh, coffee. Depending on the quality of the coffee, um, I'll drink it black. Like if it's a very nice coffee and it's not going to be like super bitter but like if i'm at a waffle house like listen there's cream and sugar going in that um like there's no reason like force myself to drink some like overly bitter drink like 
for some display of toughness like <laughs> but um i do really like the taste of nice coffee and and so depending on where i'm at um like not starbucks starbucks just over roasts their coffee to cover up the fact they're buying low quality beans to sell it to you for a high price and it's just there's a reason the starbucks people look at you weird when you ask for their black coffee they're like <laughs> they're like it's they're not shaming you for your choice they're just wondering if you're okay because you're hurting yourself they have got that like <laughs> why would you <laughs> um but but some local coffee places uh have some nice drinks um so definitely coffee um but it does not say anything bad about tea like i'm not offended by tea it's just when asked definitely going to be going for the coffee coffee in the cup and tea in the harbor you're not like that hardcore of a person josh <laughs> i like that that's pretty good yeah, i mean there's there's no reason like they're not truly competing too much with each other also just yeah. a, a fun yeah. fact that shows uh either how i'm just drastically ignorant or how the uh, education system fails us, but I always pictured during the Boston Tea Party that they were throwing like bag tea and not just le- loose leaf tea into right, the harbor. Yeah. I don't know if that was just a me thought or just if that's pretty common. Yeah, I know. I was picturing large crates of bagged tea though. Like that was what I thought. And I know that that's really dumb in hindsight. And I know that I'm admitting that as I'm about to go on a political talk show and try to convince people that I know things, but that was my thought for years. So it wasn't just like boxes of Lipton bag tea, like just make sure we're on the same page. Yeah, no, shocker. Look, it, it wasn't. It's a fun fact. They actually, instead of throwing the entire crate, they actually opened the crates and threw each little bag one by one, which is why <laughs> it took a long time to, to, throw, to throw the tea out. No wonder the British were so upset with Can that. you imagine swimming in the harbor? You'd drink the harbor at that point. Going for a swim after that. Yeah, for real. Just kind of steep yourself. I'm going to have to go with no. coffee for sure, because that's gotten me through more than tea has. Being from the South... Obviously, you know, my, my blood flows with sweet tea. So there's a place in my heart for that and arteries, but uh, very much coffee. That gets me through the day. I've been for, very... for like a dinner drink, though, sweet tea, you know, definitely like like wins out. But like I forgot about um, sweet tea. I... Um, sweet tea is a whole category. And so, yeah, like you're up in the South, like sweet tea is its own. Like that's its own deal. That truly isn't in the competition of coffee. Because if you think about it, like... <laughs> Sweet, like you ain't. Well, if you sit down at a restaurant, you're not gonna order like a cold brew for like you know, you know, for your steak dinner. They don't. They don't. What are you gonna order? You're gonna order a tea. Um, well, tea. hold on. Don't speak for us who are not from the South, because I'm not going to order a sweet tea, because that's not my favorite. But you all, you, you do, you do. Uh, you. <laughs> I know this. This has been me. I, mm. I, I've just had to reconcile all of the different co- colloquial sayings and like the the cultural norms just moving back and forth between the Midwest, North, South, because sweet tea is not a thing in the Midwest or the North. Waffle House, to my knowledge, is not a thing in the North. So I'm trying to have these conversations with people and like talk about like my, you know, midlife childhood era, like, oh, Waffle House. Nobody has any idea what I'm talking about. Uh, And then I moved to the South and like I'm trying to think of things that were really difficult to reconcile. But uh, it does make for great stories as I'm trying to illustrate cultural differences in, in my classes, though. Uh, one of the big ones is the phrase, I don't care to. In the South, it means I'm happy to do something. In the North, it always meant I don't want to do something. So like I remember <laughs> like 11 years old being like, hey, would you do such and such thing? And like, yeah, I don't care to. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I got to go find somebody else then. Because I thought that they just told me no. <laughs> so just very different culture clashes, even you know within 1,400 miles of each other. <laughs> okay, well, why don't we go ahead and transition then into kind of the purpose of the show. We alluded to it at the front to kind of give people an idea of exactly why we're doing this. This this was kind of my brainchild, and then I reached out to people who I knew could help make it happen. Uh, my My general findings have been that people are either uninformed on politics, 
they're uninterested or they're misinformed and highly opinionated. Like I feel like those are kind of the three main groups of people that I run into. The uninterested, uh, particularly when we shifted into the 2016 election, the 2020 election, I think a lot of people were turned off to politics on both sides for different reasons, but they were still overwhelmed and uninterested in that. Then you have the uninformed are the people who are, they're still holding their opinions, but they don't want to listen to talk shows. They don't want to listen to the mainstream media. They they have various reasons, depending on the side that they're on, for not wanting to be involved in politics to learn. But they do want to be involved to state their opinion, and that's where they go to their blogging and their Facebooking. I feel like I fall into the highly opinionated. But uh, you're informed. Also, you work in politics. <laughs> well, it's slightly misinformed then. I don't know. But I think I think a, a lot changed in the last year uh, with the pandemic and everything. Like the the way people consume news got even like more. I feel like every year people say we're more polarized and that's true. I mean, at this point, like if I checked your Facebook feed, it would probably be a hundred percent different than mine. Like they're probably, I mean, unless we have each other on Facebook, I'll tag you on some stuff. But, (laughs) um, and, and I think this is also a way for me to stay informed in a way and like try to look for topics that might be also out of my, out of my space. I love listening to Josh, talk about a philosophy, for example. It could, it, you know, the Washington Post doesn't give me that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I don't know. Like, I, at least to me, it, it's it's a nice way to, to stay informed and to just talk about relevant, relevant topics. Because uh, I'll be honest, uh, it's nice talking with y'all. Um, and uh, at least I know that you're my friends. So I, I cannot get too mad at you for things <laughs> that you say. I am, um, at least I would have... Um aspire at least in some part with my scholarship to always be very public i think there's a lot of uh barriers even in our own field to our own knowledge we pay for uh conference membership and then registration fees to present our work and then submit it to their those conferences journals so then it can get published so then we can buy the journals so we can actually have our own work and then the peer reviewers who don't get paid to peer review and so the only people making money from the whole like research business is just a couple like you know especially like the larger like tanford and whatever you know these big publishers who make a lot of money um off of academics work and so i really enjoy um the aspect of public scholarship and kind of doing the best to demystify you know more ways of understanding and looking at the world and how we communicate about the world and how we use language and and to some and to the extent language uses us and you know this is a type of I'm inspired by you know authors like Slavoj Žižek who has made it a long part of his career to write um op-eds to you know different newspapers just pushing, you know, parts of his opinions or reflections on different events or uh, things out to the public. Because I think that's part of what it means to be a, a scholar. A scholar, And so reducing barriers to access of information is just a big part of mine. And so I enjoy that, the ability to engage in that, you know, here and on the show. And so beyond even like all of just the enjoyment of the partisan talk and going over the topics and the discourse itself, there's just 
something to be said about the complex philosophizing you will hear from me throughout this show of just trying to make that less complex and mysterious by bringing making you know bringing it out and making it out of the hidden you know classroom of three and four hundred level classes of you know liberal arts and you know humanities majors. Josh, I think you touch on a very important criticism in academia right now, and that is that it's not just inaccessible, but it's also not understandable to the general public. Like you know, you you study philosophy, I study organizational cultures. We are taught to write in such a way that anybody who picks up our work is either going to be like, gross, this is too technical, or they're not going to be able to understand it. And I think that, you know, you also touch on a very important part of this show, and that is that we want to make that accessible, uh, whether it be our work, our perspectives, or even just politics in general. There was a very interesting concept that I learned about in my small group class. It was my first semester here, and we looked at conflict in small groups and there's, there's a book called Team of Rivals, and the idea behind that book was Abraham Lincoln had a cabinet when he was president full of people who hated him or were very polarized to him. And his reasoning for this was that he said that if he's surrounded himself with those people, he is motivated to be at his best because he knows that they'll call him out. And he also knows that they'll challenge him and prevent groupthink. And I think that you need to balance that. There, there comes a point in a group where it becomes dysfunctional because people just stop talking to each other. But if we can facilitate conversations and we can have partisan conversations where we, we approach it from different things, but we become aware of other perspectives, you can still disagree with it. You can still respect it. And you can still have those conversations. And I think that's exactly what we're kind of trying to get at with this, too. Yeah, it seems that a lot of, I use the word discourse extremely loosely, but political discourse happening today is just people kind of talking past each other. So I think the categories you laid out are a pretty good way to sum up where we're at. For me, though, you know, we all come with our different perspectives and biases and everything. But like Marcel said earlier, to get here among friends, we can hear each other's perspectives. And even if we don't disagree, we can still walk away as friends and laugh before, after, and during the show, even if things get a little bit heated. Yeah. I think, um, we're missing that in our discourse today, and it's extremely dangerous because people are at each other's throats when they should see each other's, you know, as brothers and sisters, as fellow Americans, fellow people. We can disagree, but at the same time, we can't be at each other's throats for having a different perspective. There's a place for good, even sometimes confrontational conversation, but if it goes past that, then we're kind of missing the plot. I, that's one of the reasons I'm excited about this show because we can come from different backgrounds and perspectives and show people that like, hey, we don't agree on everything. We're still cool. We can still laugh. We still have good perspectives and we still have backgrounds that are kind of intertwined so we can move forward together. And I think that's one of the most important things that could come out of this show is showing people that you can get along with people who disagree with you. You could even be friends and it's going to be, a, you know, I think it's going to be a good time for everybody. Also, uh, it's important to remember, and I think this will be a, a good example showcased in this show, is that we all have the same motive. We, we might have different paths on how we want to better this country and make things more accessible to people, and we have different perspectives on that. But there's not a person in this virtual room <laughs> that's like, yes, I, I want to harm other people, right? And like, I think that that discussion is really going to get to the heart of, here's why I think that X proposal will get us to Y outcome. And 
like Austin mentioned, I think we're missing that a lot in our politics today. And we're trying to break that echo chamber where I either am only watching a specific news feed or Facebook and Instagram, they have algorithms where it's only pushing me things based off of what I like. And therefore, it's continuing to create this illusion that it's the only perspective. And we want to destroy that idea and make sure that we have those conversations. Here's what you can expect on this show from us. We will do a summary of the concept or the major news that's broken, or whatever it is we're going to talk about for that day. We're going to make it digestible, easy to understand, and then we're going to give our perspectives. And after we've talked for roughly an hour, then we do our hot takes. And that's where we kind of do our our one to two minute rebuttals of here's what I think the key takeaways are. And also a great opportunity to talk without either being interrupted or having anybody to argue against you, which is what we all love, just talking without (laughs) anyone disagreeing with you. It's perfect. Zero pushback. All right, we're going to give you a sample of our hot takes. And in these hot takes, we're going to give you a reason that we're excited to do this show or be on this show and what we think we're going to contribute. I'm most excited for this show because I get to see three of my best friends every single week for an hour and do the thing that we love. And I think that there is both an educational and also a a personal value to working through this discourse. So that's what I'm most excited about this show. What I will bring or what I hope to bring is a deeper look at things that mainstream talking points gloss over and actually dissecting the how, the why, and the what, and then also the the ideologies underpinning those assumptions and then kind of the the practical implications that we can expect. That That's kind of what I'm hoping to kind of bring. I think one of the things I'm most excited for about this show is to selfishly boost my own music career by producing some music to go along with it and also boost Marcelo's uh, SoundCloud following (laughs) as quickly as I can, because these are the important issues that really matter. No, but I'm excited to have the opportunity to hear some different perspectives and to have a rational and grounded conversation around those. Like I mentioned earlier, um, instead of talking past each other, we can have a good conversation without being at each other's throats. And I'm hoping to as far as what I would bring to the show, kind of provide a, in a sense, a bulwark against some of the traditional talking points that are being provided, some of the um, things that kind of get reduced down to lobbing insults at one another, providing a counter perspective to some of those things that would make the listener or anyone else who'd be involved in this less likely to lob insults at each other. So much for a hot take on that one, but I'd like for people to stop being at each other's throats by the end of this. And hopefully we can all walk away from this uh, a little bit less likely to antagonize people that they interlock with so we can have some rational grounded conversations again. You know, as I kind of, you know, mentioned before, like career rise, what I want uh, my research to look like is that of like very public involved research. So I've done like research that's, you know, involved social movements and protests in the past and work with um, social justice and anti-racist organizations as my, you know, service. So I value every opportunity to further engage, you know, a public audience, a public sphere where I can come in and bring in, you know, ideas and ways to know and think about the world. And so, you know, as you know, echoed already, you know, I appreciate the place for a good and equal and fair and calmer discourse, but also the chance, you know, just to always help at every opportunity I'm given more people learn and engage the world around them in a critical fashion. Um, That's why I like being involved in academia and I'll take every opportunity. um, I I get to do that, um, you know, as much as I can. I am here to own and destroy Ryan and Austin with (laughs) facts and logic. (laughs) 
And facts That's... don't care about your feelings. <laughs> yes. Um, there won't be any feelings here, only facts. I, I, I'll echo everything, what everybody else said. I feel like it's going to be a nice, healthy discussion. I am, just like Ryan said, I'm very interested in the process. Like, I feel like none of us want people to die. None of us want people to be harmed. And we all want the best for this country, which is not mine. But we disagree in the ways to get it. And I think when we look at those disagreements, we'll actually find out like you know, what we maybe hold important or the ways that we believe we can make this place a, a better place, I guess, for, for the future generations. Um, one of the things that Ryan asked is like, what do you expect out of this or what are you hoping to achieve? And to me, like I got into this because I feel like we need younger generations to be more informed. The old ones uh, definitely did a, a number on us. Um, and so I am, I'm just hoping, and, and I'm, I'm seeing changes, not that I don't see any. I'm hoping that in the future, we're able to take the, the reins of our own destiny as, as we've seen before and uh, hopefully save the planet before it's too late, right? All right, well, I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars and in the wise words of Dr. Graham Cash. Goodbye for now.